Thanks for joining us in the Lex City Church Podcast. We would love to connect with you and help you take the next step at Lex City. So head to lexcity.church and click on Next Steps. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Good morning, everyone. My name is Helen, and I have the joy of being one of the pastors here on staff. So grateful to have you this morning, and I know it's a little bit earlier than usual. Thanks for joining us online. Baby, you're still in your jammies. We're glad that you're here. Uh, We are kicking off this new series called Second Peter, and we have an amazing creative team around here that comes up with great titles. This time, we're just going with the Bible, and I'm all for that. How about you? Because here's the thing, this thing called the Bible is more than a book. It is a tool, it is a weapon, it is alive, it is active, it wants to speak to your heart today. Like I was speaking faith over us as we were worshiping, believing that God's word wants to speak right to you where you are to give you wisdom, to give you leadership in your life, refreshment, whatever it is. So we're gonna have a great time uh, this book, Second Peter, is a small little book. It's only three chapters. I encourage you to read it this week, just three chapters, but it is filled with good stuff, filled with good stuff. Well, on November the 7th, 2013, on his 95th birthday, what are you gonna do on your 95th birthday? On Billy Graham's, 95th birthday, he sat in his home in North Carolina and he gave his final sermon, was his farewell speech. Did some of you see that? Thousands of people joined in and thousands since. If you have seen this, what you see in Billy Graham's eyes is an intentionality, a passion with every word that he speaks because he knows the end of his life is near. For Peter, in 2 Peter, he's doing much the same. He's writing, think of it this way, his farewell speech. He knows the end is near. As a matter of fact, he talks about it in verses 14 and 15 of the first chapter. He says this, Our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. And so as he writes, don't you know, there's intentionality and passion. Because he goes on to say, the purpose of why I'm writing is this. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. These things, I want you to remember them. What would these things be for you? If you were to air a TV special, what would you say? My mom is 92 years old, and these are precious days with her. She knows the end is near. Last night I was with her, and this is kind of personal, but she said to me, "Um, would you mind helping me get in my nightgown? And I got her undressed and put on her nightgown and her pink robe, zipped it up, and kissed her goodbye. Every time I'm with her, I'm aware of these things that she sang. And oftentimes it's just, you know, just life, but, but she will go to these deep places 
of faith and eternity. She'll talk about the things she loves the most, her children, her favorite. <laughs> Not so, every one of us feel that way. Her grandkids, her great-grandkids, the wildcats, I mean the things that she's passionate about. Peter says, always remember these things after I'm gone. So what Peter's gonna do, and as you read this book, listen, underline, ask the Holy Spirit, what are these things? Now, Pastor Brian and I are gonna do our best to highlight those, to bring those to the front so that we can remember them as well. So I want you to uh, bring your Bibles. I want you to be ready. It's gonna be a great series. To get us started, I'm gonna kick us off with a short little video. It's gonna introduce you to the book of 2 Peter and chapter one. Here we go. Letter of Peter. It's addressed to the same network of churches as Peter's first letter, and it's likely written from the same location in Rome. Peter's become aware of the fact that he's going to die soon, and the evidence that we have from early tradition was that Peter was executed by the Roman authorities during the reign of Emperor Nero. And so this letter acts as Peter's farewell speech. He begins by offering a final challenge that Jesus' followers must be people who never stop growing. And then this is followed by two final warnings about a growing number of corrupt teachers who are leading Christians in these church communities astray, first by their corrupt way of life and second by their distorted theology. Throughout the letter, Peter is countering accusations made by these teachers against himself and the other apostles. And Peter's goal is to restore confidence and order to these church communities. So Peter opens by reminding these churches that through Jesus, God has invited people to become a participant in his own divine nature. That is, to share in God's own eternal life and love, which is mind-blowing. And it requires a lifelong response. To receive this gift means a commitment to developing the same character traits that mark God's own divine nature. Peter lists here seven traits to strive for. And the final one encompasses and crowns all of the others, it's love, which according to Jesus means devoting oneself to the well-being of others, no matter their response or the cost. To love, according to Peter, is to share in God's own life. Peter then states the letter's purpose. It's going to act as a memorial of his teaching that can be passed on to later generations because he's not going to be around to give it much longer in person. So before he dies, he wants to address these objections and accusations being made by the teachers who distort Jesus' teaching and that of the apostles. So Peter first addresses an accusation repeated by the skeptics present and future, namely that he and the apostles just made up all of this stuff about Jesus being risen from the dead and king of the world. Jesus isn't really going to come back one day. So Peter offers his eyewitness testimony of the powerful moment of Jesus' transformation on the mountain. Remember the story in Mark chapter 9. The apostles saw Jesus exalted as king, and his resurrection means that he's alive as king and will return to rescue our world one day. And so the future return of Jesus to bring God's kingdom, this will fulfill what all the ancient scriptures have been pointing to all along. The words of the Old Testament prophets. They're not fabricated fantasies. Rather, through these human words of Scripture and through the human Jesus, God himself has spoken to us. All right, there you have it, uh, the first chapter in two minutes and 50 seconds. 
I'm gonna spend a little bit longer than that, and we are gonna look at only the first 11 verses. So, um, I hope that you're ready, because we're gonna get started with verse one, and this is how it starts. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, when you're doing inductive Bible study, which is taking the text and exploring inside of it to see what it means, and how it applies to our life. The rule is you start with the first question, who? Who is this book to? And the text tells us who is this book to. It says that this book is from Peter, right? Simon Peter. Now he goes on to describe who he is. He says he is a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now what I wanna do is as I bring the text to light, I wanna bring some observations. And here's our first observations. Whose we are matters more than what we do. Do you hear it in the text? When Peter describes himself, he starts with what? Slave first, apostle second. Not so much the way we do life. As a matter of fact, when I stood up here today, I introduced myself, my name's Helen, I'm a pastor at Black City Church. We start out with the what we do. Peter is reminding us in our identity, whose we are always matters before what we do. And he refers to himself as a slave, or maybe you're in your translation says a bond servant. We don't typically use the word slave to describe ourselves as Christians anymore, but I wonder if we should, because that is what we are. We say, I gave my life to Christ. What does that mean? I have a new owner. I have a master. And have we gotten away from that understanding that Peter, from the very beginning, is wanting to make sure that we remember it is whose we are more than what we do that matters. Let's keep reading in verse one. He says, I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. So Peter tells us it's, who's writing it, him, and then he tells us who the letter is to. Who is that to? It says, those that share in this same precious faith. Do you not love that way that faith is described here by Peter? Precious faith. Do you know it's a precious faith? Because it is a precious gift given to us, Ephesians 2, 8. Not from our own work, but a gift from God. So the letter is from Peter, and it is to the church. It is to us. Now he's ready to talk to us. And here's what he says, verse two. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, 
He's given us great and precious promises. And these are promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. I want us to focus for a moment on verse three. Let's look, let's look at it again. <clears throat> by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Do you ever wonder like, do I have what it takes in life? Anybody else? Like, do I, maybe you're thinking about being a, a parent, having kids. You're going, gosh, do I have what it takes to be a mom, to be a dad? Or you have kids and you're wondering, do I have what it takes to be a mom or a dad? Maybe you're a businesswoman, businessman. Do I have what it really takes to lead this business successfully? Or what about even like with your faith? Do, you go, do, I, do I have what it takes to really be a Christian, to have an impact for Christ? Here's observation number two from our text. By his divine power, you do have what it takes. You do have what it takes. Um, this past week, my husband and I went on a cruise. And when we got to the terminal, the cruise terminal, we went through security and then we registered at the desk and they gave both my husband and I something. And I thought what it was, was a room key. But what I grew to understand was this was not a room key. This was a cruise key. Because as we walked over the gangplank, I guess that's what it sounds kind of scary, but as we walked from reality to fantasy life, um, to get not to my room, not just simply a room, this key gave me a cruise and everything that went with it. And I'm talking everything. I packed some of it home. All the food, all the entertainment, all the excursions, it was unbelievable. All provided for me. Do you understand, as a follower of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, you have not some things, Scripture says, everything you need. You have all it takes. Acts 1.8, what does that say? Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power. That word in the Greek is dunamis. It comes from the word dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I remember when someone was speaking, this guy named Lloyd Ogilvie, and he said, what are you doing in your life that you could not do if the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't at work through you? What a great question. Ephesians 3 says this. It says in the Bible, now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power, same work, at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. So, you do have everything it takes. 
You have his divine power. But here's observation three, and I wanna give it to you before I go to the text. Here's observation three. With that in mind, observation number three is this. We have his power and we must make the effort. Because listen to where Peter takes us next under the inspiration of the Spirit, verse five. It says, in view of all this, meaning in, in light of everything you've just read, in view of all this, now look what he says. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every effort to respond. Do you feel like your spiritual growth takes so much work? Do you ever feel like being a Christian is hard? And the reason I ask you is because I do. And sometimes with that, I think something must be wrong with me. And then I read this text, and I go, oh no, something's not wrong with me, something's right with me. Like, I'm working at this. We're working at this. It takes real effort. Peter is reminding us of that truth, that it takes real effort. I wrote this down. This precious faith is a gift, but the appropriation takes effort, takes work. Are you working at it? Are you responding to the faith? You can plug the light in, but until I turn it on, I take the effort to click the button, nothing happens. Are you responding to the effort? Now here's what Peter does. He takes us to what we're to put our effort towards. This faith, how we respond, where do we put our work? And here's what he writes in verse five. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. So, he says, make every effort to respond to God's promises by supplementing your faith. And I loved this idea as I sat with this idea of supplementing your faith. Do you know that Americans spend $35 billion a year in supplements? Because we're deficient? We get it physically. Do we get it spiritually? Like, I get it physically. I'm deficient in B12. Every month I go have a B12 shot makes my brain come alive, helps with my migraines, and I'm a better person all the way around. What about spiritually? Where we are deficient in these things that we're gonna look at, and how our spiritual life doesn't operate at full capacity in a way who honors and reflects the character of God, his divine nature. So Peter takes us through this list and that's what I want us to do. And as we do, personally, would you do what I'm doing? Ask this question, where am I deficient? Holy Spirit, I give you permission. Where am I deficient? Speak to me now. 
because he starts with this. Supplement your faith with moral excellence. And he doesn't just say moral excellence. I love on this one, he says a generous portion of moral excellence. And you know why? His culture wasn't much different than ours. If there's a place we need a generous portion of a supplement, it is with regards to moral excellence in our culture. So can I ask you, where are you putting extra effort to moral excellence in your own life? Where is God calling you to sharpen what you watch, how you spend your time, where you go on your computer? Make every effort. It takes work. Make the effort. And to moral excellence, with, he says, add knowledge. Knowledge. Are you making every effort to increase your knowledge of God's character, his will, and his word? I was on the phone. I meet once a month with five women. We're in five different states across the country. And every month we get together and on FaceTime, we ask each other five different questions to keep ourselves sharp and accountable. And one of the questions is, how is the scripture speaking to you? Which means, you gotta be in the scripture if it's gonna be saying something to you. And I'm gonna be really honest with you. I started out so good the first of the year. I mean, I started in the book of Matthew and I started reading through Matthew, one chapter every day, speaking to me. That was all January and I checked in and I was, but February I didn't have much to say. Oh, the scripture's not real, I'm, I'm struggling here, guys. And my friend Becky Tirabasi, who's preaching in California today at her church, I texted her last night, I said, you go girl, I'm gonna be with ya. She called me up that night and she said, what's up with you? She's kind of no nonsense. What's up with you? You are not in the word? I'm going, well, you know, I don't want to be legalistic that I have to. She goes, what? Get in the word. And so this month, right after that, I started reading through the Bible in a year. I have this Bible that has every day and it started in the book of Leviticus. And do you know what God has done in my heart through reading a book, a book of Leviticus? He has given me a picture I had forgotten and understood that he is a holy God. And I am to be holy. That he is a holy God and set up all these rituals and all these systems so these unholy people could have connection with him. But now I am in Christ. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we sang about, I have access and don't have to do all of that. Where are you making, it's brought me to life. Make effort because it takes effort to increase your knowledge. Supplement your knowledge now with self-control. Self-control is the next one. Are you making every effort 
to strengthen the power of self-control in your life? On that cruise that we went on, uh, it was Sunday that we left, but on Tuesday, I left our incredible room on the 10th floor and traveled all the way down to deck one. No one goes to deck one. But at 4.30 in the afternoon on deck one was Friends of Bill W., which for those of you that don't know, that's um, code language for Alcoholics Anonymous, of which I'm a part of and have been for 23 years. And I knew I was in dangerous territory. And because of that, I had to make the effort to leave the sun deck and go where I knew I would sit myself. I didn't know if I'd be all alone, but sure enough, I walked in. Five men were there. I was representing for the women, and we had a meeting. And my self-control was established and stronger because I put effort into it. Where do you need to put effort into the area that's out of control? Eating, watching too much TV, watching the wrong kind of TV, gossiping, your thoughts, I don't know what it is, but Peter is reminding us to put effort into self-control, and with self-control, then, patient endurance. And why do they have to put this word here? Like, I'm like, come on now, Peter. Let's just do endurance. No, patient endurance. Can I ask you, where are you making effort in your capacity for patience? And with patient endurance, we add godliness. Where are you making every effort to cultivate a heart for God? And with godliness, brotherly affection, how we care for one another, Man, do we need to do that good in the church. Brotherly, sisterly affection. This is to us, each other. And then he says, and don't stop there, friends, because you need to supplement your faith with love for everyone. Love for everyone. And it will take effort. Are we in? Are we in this week? Where am I deficient? What did the Holy Spirit say to you? What effort will you put this week into supplementing your faith? And here's how he brings this section to a close. It's good news, because it says, the more you grow like this, what we just talked about, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those who fail to develop in this way, they are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. The more you grow like this, the more you are productive and useful. Don't you want to be productive and useful in your faith? Gosh, do you know what life it brings? Because we're, we're made for that, to produce this kind of fruit, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithness, self-control, all the more useful and productive we are when we put the effort in. 
But he says, listen, if you don't do that, you know what happens? You're short-sighted. You know what short-sighted means? I can't see past me. Does that describe anybody? It's all right here. And God says, get your eyes up and off of you. Or at worst, you're blind because you've forgotten you've been cleansed from your sin. And now this life of being a Christian is about privilege instead of being a slave and servant. And we are privileged. But we are called to give our lives away to be productive and useful for the kingdom. And so he concludes, verse 10. So, conclusion statement, dear brothers and sisters, now here it is again, work hard. Work hard, it's gonna take hard work to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then, God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Observation number four and final. The benefit of your efforts is a productive and useful life for God and the assurance of your eternity. We are not saved by works, we are saved by faith. But I'm gonna tell you something. When we cultivate a productive and useful life, and we cultivate the divine nature of God in us, we live with an assurance of whose we are and where we're going. We just do. I meet people from time to time who go, I don't think I'm a Christian. I said, well, tell me about your life. Well, I gave my life to Christ when I was little, but I, and I understand the but I because they've done nothing to cultivate the relationship. What faith began with stopped. And God calls us to this useful and productive life. And it has been my prayer that today, somehow, I know sometimes God gives us this like dramatic moment of clarity and we make a shift or a change in our life. And sometimes it's just a watering of a seed, whatever it is, he does something in us, church. I pray that there's some of you who live with no assurance because you have no assurance because you've never given your life to Christ. Today, you can do that. You can head right to our prayer room and someone will pray with you to encounter the cross because do you know that final sermon of Billy Graham's that he gave, do you know what the title of that sermon was? the cross. And for an hour, Billy Graham laid out the power and the truth of the cross in our lives. It's all about the cross. If it weren't for the cross, if it weren't for what Jesus did for me, for you, we would be dead, stuck, living in ritual, but God has come to give us life, a productive and useful life. So friend, where will that be? Where is God calling us up today? Productive and useful, empowered with his divine power that gives us everything we need 
for a godly life, a full life, a grateful life, a life filled with joy. Don't you want that? Would you bow your heads with me, please? And I'd love for you to ask Holy Spirit, just simple prayer, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? What is it you want to say to me from your word and your message today? Just to me, I'm here to listen. And would you take just a moment of silence to listen to what he wants to say to you? He hears you, friend. And that prayer of repentance for maybe being lazy or lacking self-control, forgetting the gift of your salvation, he speaks over you when you, are, when you confess your sins. I am faithful and just, and I cleanse you. Receive his forgiveness and receive his power. Holy Spirit, would you come to that place in our life that is complacent or lifeless or struggling? Empower us to live a life that is useful and productive for the kingdom. That's where joy is. Whether we're in the valleys or the mountains. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for my friends, for who they are and the way they've listened. Holy Spirit, walk with us this week. Give us everything we need. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. You can stay connected with us through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by following at Lex City Church. Join us for next week's podcast and have a great week.